0: Well, good morning, everyone. Thank you for joining us on this Good Friday. When I was in elementary school, my family moved around the Christmas break. And uh, so, one in January, or sorry, I should say November, December, I went to a school called Grandview Public School in Cambridge. And in January, starting the new semester, I went to Manchester Public School also in Cambridge. We didn't leave, didn't move too far, it was pretty close. But as you can imagine, a change like this, changing schools in the middle of a school year is not an easy thing to do. And in spite of my parents trying their best, it was really quite hard to not be afraid. See, one of the things that was new is I'd never ridden a school bus before. Some of you, that's how you went to school. I'd never done that before and I had a lot of questions. Like, What happens if I don't make my bus get to the bus on time? Will they just leave without me? The answer is yes, they will. Will my bus driver know where to go? Well, yes, they did. Will the kids on the bus be nice? That was to be determined. Or what about when I actually got to school? Was my teacher gonna be nice? Or are they gonna be like the teacher I had before who sometimes when they got really upset would throw chalk across the room? What kind of teacher was I gonna have? Or what about who I was gonna play with at recess? Was anybody gonna wanna play with me? Was anybody gonna wanna be my friend? And because I didn't know what to expect, it was hard to not be afraid on that second first day of school that year. But you know what? This is what uncertainty can do to people. Uncertainty can cause us to be afraid. And my guess is that some of us here this morning have various things going on in our lives that may be causing us to feel uncertain. Maybe there's something going on in our families, then we aren't sure how it's going to turn out. Maybe that has us feeling uncertain. Or maybe there's something going on at school or work that it has us feeling uneasy, and we aren't really sure about what's coming our way. Or maybe some of us are feeling uncertain about our faith, and even the fact that we are sitting here on a service like this today, we aren't really sure what we think. And in the various points of uncertainty that we might be experiencing, there might even be a little hint of fear that's included in that. Well, this morning I want, us to, I want to invite us to see how an uncertainty and fear were, the, were a part of the experience of Jesus' disciples in the reading that, we, that Heather read for us this morning. And I want us to notice how Jesus responds to his disciples. In our reading this morning, uh, it came during a time when Jesus and his disciples were together to celebrate the Passover. This is just Jesus and his close friends. It's a group of people who'd spent three years pretty much together almost all the time. They've done a lot of life. They've seen a lot of things. Daily, these disciples had experienced Jesus doing some pretty remarkable th- things. They'd watched miracles take place. They'd heard Jesus teach them about, uh, about what the kingdom of God would be like. They'd, they'd seen this. They'd heard it. And during this time, Jesus hadn't held much back from them, including the fact that one day he was going to suffer and die. But despite this, they weren't ready for what was going to happen to Jesus. In fact, when Jesus says, One of you is going to betray me, they seem shocked and they seem confused because they hadn't internalized the reality that what Jesus had come to do would come via suffering. And so in this moment, they lost their sense of certainty. And we see the shock and the confusion expressed by Peter, who asked Jesus three questions over the course of this reading. He's the one who prompts the question about who Jesus is talking to when Jesus speaks about being betrayed. He's the one that says, nudges John and says, ask him who it's going to be. And then after Jesus talks about how he won't be with them much longer, Peter asks where are you going? And then he follows up that question by asking, why can't I go with you? Before he tries to express his commitment to Jesus by saying, hey Jesus, I'm so committed to you that I would even die for you. I mean, these questions are legitimate questions. And uh, uh, what are you, who are you talking about? And, and where are you going? And why can't I come too? Those are three very legitimate questions that if we were there in that moment, I'm sure some of us would be thinking about those questions too. See, for Peter and the other disciples, they could tell that things were changing and they weren't really sure what to make of it. The idea that one of them might betray Jesus would have been upsetting, but to top it off, Jesus is talking about going away and leaving them behind. And so the questions are, why is this happening and what would happen to them? Now, I think it's, a, it's important to note here that Jesus doesn't chastise Peter or anybody else for asking them questions. In fact, what we see Jesus doing is taking the time to respond to these questions. And as a little bit of an aside, if you are somebody who has questions about faith, about life, uh, about Jesus, um, those questions aren't bad. Jesus isn't afraid of them. And so let me just say that you are in good company. Jesus had all sorts of time for his disciples and their questions. But everything that Jesus says is not just about giving clarity and responding to their questions. See, in response to Peter declaring that he's totally committed to Jesus, Jesus tells Peter that he'll actually be a part of the tragedy of his coming death, that despite Peter's desire to stay with Jesus, that that fear of uncertainty would result in even Peter denying Jesus. Jesus. As we come together for a service like this, this morning we are invited to reflect on how we connect to the story of Jesus' betrayal, to his suffering, and to his death. How do we connect to this story? In Romans 3.23, the Apostle Paul says that all of us have sinned and fallen short of God's glory. All of us have sinned. Now, sometimes when we talk about sin, sin can seem kind of abstract and kind of like a a concept that's kind of vague to us. But in this story, I think we see what it looks like in some personal ways. I mean, here are Jesus' friends who I'm sure at various points would have thought that the idea that they wouldn't stick by Jesus would just be completely crazy. But Judas is going to sell out Jesus for money, and Peter and the others are going to become so afraid that they pretend that they don't even know him. Greed and fear. Greed and fear lead Judas and Peter to turn their back on Jesus. And ultimately, this is what sin is all about. In our own lives, sin looks like, you know, when we decide that we know what's best for our lives, that we want to do what we want, and that we aren't really sure that we want to pay attention to what Jesus would have us do. And so what we do is we leave Jesus out of the picture. And we choose to plot our own course. And in situations when life is uncertain, I think that the temptation can be to grab hold of control and to leave Jesus behind because, hey, somebody's got to grab the reins here. I'm scared. And I think that's what we end up seeing Peter do in this passage. But the passage we read this morning includes how Jesus responds to his friends, and I think it tells us about how Jesus responds to us. Now, at best, we might imagine that Jesus would respond to his friends and say, guys, come on. Like, you know, just with a size. Guys, we've talked about this. This is what we've been preparing for. Why are you acting surprised? Or maybe we might find ourselves thinking that, you know, if we were Jesus' resentment, it would be really hard for resentment not to set in. I mean, not only was one of his close friends going to sell him out, but another would deny even knowing him. And in a few hours, none of them would be found. They would have all scattered. How would you respond if that happened? I asked my kids this this week as we were reading through uh, this story and they said, not good. They said they'd be really sad. And I was like, yeah, I'd be angry. I don't know, how about you? But what Jesus does reminds us of his greater purpose. And he talks about love in this passage. And Jesus' greater purpose is expressing God's love and passing it along so that people like us can live in the reality of God's love. Jesus' death was about paving the way to welcome in those who might otherwise be on the outside. And this would include the sinner. This would include the doubter. This would include the betrayer. This would include those who are are ashamed. Those who in this moment are are scared uh, and uncertain about what is to come. See, through Jesus' death and his resurrection... Jesus was making a way for for everybody to know and experience the life-giving, life-changing, totally generous, uh, radical love of God, and to make it so sin, which gets in the way of us actually experiencing this love, that sin no longer needs to get in the way. Now, right after Peter tells Jesus that, or right after Jesus tells Peter, like, you're gonna deny me. You're You're not who you think you're gonna be here. Right after Jesus tells Peter this, Jesus turns, and there's no bitterness here, we should note this, that Jesus instead turns and he tells his followers, who are going to let him down, he tells his followers that he's preparing a room for them in in his father's house. Now the point of these words, the point of what Jesus says here, is not about giving us details about the afterlife But it's more to communicate that that despite the fears and failures of the disciples, that Jesus is not leaving them on the outside to look in. Rather, knowing that they will fail him, Jesus tells them that there is room for them. That in spite of their lack of understanding, their wavering faith, their crippling fear, that what Jesus was doing was for them it was making room for them. As we read through the Gospel of Luke and the story of Jesus' uh, trial and his, and his death, we, we come to a moment where Jesus has been crucified and he's hanging on the cross between two criminals, two people who, who probably deserved the punishment that they were getting according to the law. And in that moment, one of them says to Jesus, Jesus, remember me when you come into your kingdom. And Jesus answers him, truly I tell you, today you will be with me in paradise. The room that Jesus is making is not just for his friends. It's for this person that he just met, who likely deserves what he's getting, who asks, Jesus, is the room for me? Jesus says, yes, yes there is. My first real job after college was in a city that was three hours from home where I literally knew nobody. Actually, I knew one person, but I didn't see them too often, but I pretty much literally knew nobody. And I really felt it. I, as much as I tried, I tried to make friends, but making friends was hard. I couldn't find people to connect with. And I always felt like in whatever I was doing, whatever situation I was in, I was on the outside, I was looking in. Until one time, somebody who I'd met a few times recognized my struggle and they said, hey, why don't you come hang out with me and my friends? We're going out for wings. And I said, sure. I had nothing else to do. I didn't know anybody else. I said, sure. Why not? And I remember thinking to myself, why am I going to this? It feels kind of forced. It feels like this could be awkward. This a group of people, they know each other, and I'm coming into this. This feels awkward. Am I some sort of charity case here? How do I feel about this? But I decided to go anyways. And when I got there, the table was set up, and there was a, they were all there, but there was one chair that they had reserved. This was the Josh spot right in the middle, wasn't off to the edges, right in the middle. And in that, that time, they, they made an effort to get to know me, to talk to me, and it became like we were old friends right off the get-go. And throughout the time that I lived there, there was always room for me at that table. It was wonderful and life-giving. This morning, we are remembering that what Jesus did on the cross was to make sure that there was room for us. And a table is part of that story. That on the cross, Jesus dealt with sin and paved the way for each one of us to find our place in the life and love of the kingdom of God. And he did so willingly out of love for us. The Apostle Paul talks about what happens at the Last Supper, and he writes this in 1 Corinthians chapter 11. He says, The Lord Jesus, on the night he was betrayed, took bread, and when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, This is my body which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same way, after supper, he took the cup, saying, The cup, this cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this whenever you drink it in remembrance of me. For whenever you eat this bread and drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he returns. I mentioned this on Sunday, but I want to point it out here again. You notice how Jesus doesn't blame his disciples here? He doesn't say, I'm doing this because of you or I'm doing this in spite of you. He, he could have said that. He could have held a grudge. But instead, he says, I'm doing this for you. As in, this is a gift that I'm giving you willingly because I want to, because I care for you, because I love you, because he loves us. In a few moments, we are going to partake in communion as a way of remembering that what Jesus did on that first Good Friday was for us. And as we eat the bread, we're remembering that Jesus' body was broken as it was nailed to that cross. As we drink the cup, we remember how Jesus' blood was shed and it was for us, so that we, you and me, and for all of us, that we could enjoy the life and love of the kingdom ourselves. And so as we eat and drink together this morning, we are gonna say these words to you that there is room for you as a reminder of of the fact that what Jesus did on the cross was to make sure that there was room for us. Now I need to give a couple practical instructions about how we're gonna do this this morning. And with this, I'll ask our our worship team to come to the front as well as our communion service to come join me up here. But let me just give some instructions about how we are going to do this together this morning. We have up at the front here two communion stations. Uh, where you, and when you are ready, you are invited to come to the front and, uh, and to receive communion from the stations, and, and we ask that you actually eat and drink right here from the front. You know, come to the front. We'll say a word of blessing, eat and drink, and then return to your seat. Uh, for those who are interested, all the bread is gluten-free, and so hopefully that kind of helps make sure that we're all in the, we're all able to participate this morning. Now, if coming to the front doesn't work for you, um, I, I'm going to be happy to bring communion to you where you are sitting. So for whatever reason, if you aren't able to come to the front, we will bring it to you this morning. We just ask that you put your hand up get, you know... I don't whistle. But, you know, put your hand up. Get my attention. Let us know uh, that, you, that, you're, that you would like us to bring it to you. If I don't notice and somebody else around can get my attention, please please uh, feel free to do that. That's okay. One of the cool things about today is we have our kids with us. We have a bunch of our kids with us this morning, and this is a wonderful expression of who we are as, as, a, as a church community. And kids, you are welcome to participate this morning, and there's a couple ways that you can participate. And parents, this is probably more for you than for them. But how they can participate is they can come up with you and they can watch. You know, watching is one of the ways that we learn and we, 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 un, we grow to understand and we can ask questions. And so, parents, you can bring your, your children up here to watch and you participate in communion if that is what would be good for you. And conversely, if leaving your kids behind with somebody and taking turns with your partner is what works for you and your family, you're welcome to do that as well. That said, if your child understands what communion is about... Parents, again, this is the ball's in your court here. They are welcome to participate. If they can understand it in the best way a kid who's age six or age eight or whatever, what this is, then they are welcome to participate this morning. Parents, the decision is up to you, and we will honor that. Lastly, whenever we do communion like this, this always happens. We all get up all at once, and we get in, in rows and lines, and we do this as efficiently as possible. Efficiency is not the goal this morning, and so uh, take your time. Um, there is no rush. Take your time. Come when you are ready, and uh, we hope that this will be a meaningful experience. And again, the point is that we recognize and we hear that there is room for us this morning. Please join me in prayer. Lord Jesus, thank you for today. Lord, thank you that we are reminded of your love and Lord, we are reminded of what you have done for us on the cross. Lord, this morning we remember how your body was broken for us, that your blood was broken for us. Lord, we remember the brutality of this, that this was not a nice, neat, tidy event. But Lord, it was painful, but it was worth it because of the love that you have for us. Lord Jesus, as we eat and as we drink this morning, may we encounter you. May we hear the words that there is room for us in new and fresh ways. May those words penetrate to the depths of our souls. Lord, thank you for your love. Thank you for your sacrifice. Amen. Folks, you are welcome to the table. There is room for you.